Pod of Their Own. This is episode 165 of A Pod of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I'm joined this week by my lovely co-hosts, Linda Surovich. Hello, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wigan. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Allison. So last week, we were all, Mets are back, baby. And this week, it's like, well... <laughs> Mets are back, baby. Mets Same back. old Mets. <sighs> Same old Mets. Um... They lost two series to mediocre teams last week. <laughs> um, Generous and- to call them mediocre. They're yeah. the worst two teams in the league. Yeah, in the National For League. For now. National League, yes. <laughs> um, in the Cubs and the Rockies, um, both, I believe, last place teams. Yes. Yes. Um, and so they lost to two. They lost two out of three to two last place teams. Um, this time, the offense, the offense remains mostly fine. Um but it couldn't overcome the bad pitching this time. Um, they pitched really badly last week, and Verlander in particular had uh, a really bad outing against the Rockies, which was especially frustrating. Um, it was close. McGill was the bigger culprit because he sucked twice last week. McGill did suck two different times last week. And I mean, Verlander, as bad as he was, did manage to gut through five innings, even though he was bad. Um, McGill couldn't even manage that either time, I don't think. I think it was like four. It was four innings and then three three and two thirds. Yeah, and then four, yeah. And then four. So that's just like not going to cut it. I mean, it's, it's also expectations minus reality, right? Like McGill was objectively worse, but like, you know, it's Tyler McGill. It's a fifth starter. It. It wasn't even acceptable by fifth starter standards, but Justin Verlander is supposed to be the ace of the staff. He's making lots of money. Not that the money really matters, but, you know, there's expectations upon him. And especially after Scherzer looked so good the day before. That is a small silver lining um, from this week, which is that Max Scherzer looked very good in his most recent outing. Um, But it's just like it feels like lightning in a bottle to get Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander going at the same time. Um so it's just like really, really back and forth. Like Verlander has, Verlander has literally alternated good and bad starts in his first whatever four starts. That means we're getting a good starts. one. Yeah, hopefully that means we're getting a good one this time around. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been frustrating. He's literally went bad start, good start, bad start, good start, bad start since he's come back. Um, and uh, Max did shove. Um, and the other encouraging thing is that Carlos Carrasco had an encouraging outing, um, but that's about the only silver lining you can take away on the pitching side right now, or from last week, that is. Uh, as we speak, um, as we podcast, we are recording this on Tuesday night, May 30th. Uh, the Mets are in a pitching duel with the Phillies at the moment. Uh, the Mets are up one nothing on a Francisco Lindor solo homer, and Kodai Sanga just completed seven innings. So he pretty much shoved today too. He really shoved today. He didn't walk anybody. He struck out how many strikeout? Eight, Eight seven? Maybe. I can't uh, tell. It was seven the last I looked, but I didn't pay he attention. He just struck to- out Schwarber, so I don't know if that's the seventh or the eighth. Nine. No, okay then. Nine. Basically the eight, basically eight, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> basically eight, Steve. Um, <laughs> he gave up he gave up one hit. 
Um, and he struck out nine through seven innings, which is just, yeah, this is one of his best starts that he's had. I mean, he did strike out 12, uh, in that other start that he had, but like, this is when, like when Sanga is on, this is the good Sanga. Like this is, and it's like electric to watch. Um, so we do have that going right now tonight, but the Mets could still easily lose this game. They're only up by one. He wasn't always awful at Wrigley. He just was all over the place, but he limited the damage. He walked a lot of guys. We're starting to understand his his rhythms better, I think, in terms yeah. of like getting him the rest, um, you know, getting him comfortable. I think that's that's all really important, and we can see when that is in place that he's doing well. Yeah, his deal is that he needs extra rest, and he is when he's on, he's basically unhittable. But he has trouble controlling the ghost fork. Um, and yeah. when he can't control it, it's not going to be a good time. He can usually limit damage, but he, he'll walk a lot of guys when he can't control it. Um, so, but, you know, that's why the, he's roughly performing like a third starter, which is what the Mets needed from him. The problem is, is that they're not getting what they need from other guys. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's the problem with McGill, too. Like, you're constantly waving the white flag, whether it's him or Peterson, that leaves no room for error for the rest of the rotation. Yeah, that's been the issue is they needed one of those two guys to be good. And both of them have been pretty bad. Um, like Peterson has been unrosterable and McGill is yeah. getting there. Like if you can't even get your fifth starter through four innings, that's not a starter. That's an opener. Yeah. Then that's yeah. Then you're just a reliever. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and not a good one. No. No. And I mean, they should consider, honestly, like doing some sort of opener piggyback situation with that fifth starter spot, Does but it, they probably won't do that. It seems like it's always the third inning. It's either the first inning where Miguel falls apart or the third inning where he falls apart. So he could be like your bridge guy to get to like Adovino and Robertson since the rest of like your bridge dudes are awful <laughs> i mean to be fair to mcgill he was not assisted by his defense in no. his most recent outing um well, i also blame buck for that why do you put starling Marte in center in Coors field that was that was a terrible decision on buck show walter's uh part to put i mean like i understand brandon nimmo can't play every single game i understand that but you gotta choose a better spot yeah, to rest your center fielder than the most expansive ballpark in all of baseball to put to put Starling Marte, who has not looked particularly good in right field this year, um, and let hasn't alone played center. center in like two years. Right. Yeah. Um. So that was not a good choice, and it manifested itself in the game. Um. He made a key uh defensive miscue that cost the Mets arguably the game. Um. And. So, yeah, that was an issue, and Tyler McGill was not assisted by his defense, both in the form of Starling Marte playing a poor center field and Gary Sanchez catching badly. Um, He had, like, there were, like, three, I can't remember if it was three wild pitches or, like, a pass ball and two wild pitches, but basically they all should have been pass balls, more or less. Um, They were balls that... I mean, at least he's 
done now. At least he's gone. <laughs> they were both at uh, the Mets' other catchers, provided that Tomas Nito's eyes are better. <laughs> there are balls that they those the Mets' other catchers would have blocked. Um, and yeah, Gary Sanchez is now off the roster. Um, when Tomas Nito was activated from the injured list, uh, Gary Sanchez was designated for assignment. He has since been claimed on waivers by the Padres, who are actually in a dire catching situation, unlike the Mets, who now somehow have an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> Um, which is good, but also concerning because you kind of the the designating uh, Gary Sanchez for assignment move was obvious um, and something that I, I think that, you know, people who have Wilpon PTSD and stuff like that were nervous about whether they would do that because especially this season, because they've been like doing weird roster manipulation stuff where they've been refusing to DFA guys without options like they just DFA Jimmy Yacobonis because he was he basically they need to activate him off the injured list or DFA him. And so they DFA'd him. Um, <laughs> but they had kept guys like that on the roster for too long because they don't have options anymore. Same thing with uh, guys like Tommy Hunter and Stephen Gosick. They've kept around because they don't have options anymore and they're scared to expose them to waivers for some reason. Um, Gary Sanchez else wants them on their team either. Right. No. I mean, Gary Sanchez was always going to get claimed, which is why I think people were nervous that the Mets weren't going to put him on waivers um, because like catching is something that is always needed around the league. Um, And so, yeah, it's not a surprise that he got claimed to me, but the Mets do not need him anymore. So it's really fine. Um, That was the easy choice. Mets don't need Stephen Nagosik either. Yeah. The problem is, is that his replacement is not very obvious at this time. Like, I, I hate to say it because he's my dude that I picked at the beginning of the season, but the guy who would be up here, I think, if he was pitching any good at all in AAA is John Curtis, but he's pitching awful in AAA. It's the same thing. It's the David Peterson syndrome, although David Peterson has pitched better in AAA of late. Um, like, if he was any good at all, he'd be here, but he's pitching awful. So they don't really have anybody else to replace Steven Nagosik. I also think that they just don't want to expose him to waivers, which is silly because he would make it through waivers. Um, but yeah, until, like there isn't the, their best, I think their best AAA reliever right now is Muck and Hearn. So that's your alternative. They could do that. They should be turning these spots. They claimed that they wanted to. They claimed at the beginning of the season that their ideal was to have two spots in the bullpen. They wanted optionable relievers so they could churn the bullpen. And then they clogged up the bullpen with non-optionable relievers and haven't churned them. So wouldn't you rather have good pitchers? Yeah, in theory. Um, if you get to choose, which in cool. the offseason, you do. Yeah. <laughs> like That's uh, what I would do. It's been rough. I thought the, I thought that they had built sufficient bullpen depth i was not correct um obviously you know like robertson has been great although he's been showing his human side lately not bad but like you know giving up runs occasionally <laughs> lately um, not otherworldly not otherworldly ottavino's been fine um and outside of that it's been an issue like like drew smith was good for a while but he bad drew smith has reemerged lately and jeff brigham looked good for a while but he's been bad again it's like you know this is what these these like basically middle relievers are like this is what happens when you pull when you build your entire bullpen out of them can we try the chairs in the bullpen could 
<laughs> or as like an opener, they could piggyback yes. the with McGill or something. I don't know. I I would say at least try it since nothing else has worked at this point. Why not? Why because not? Indeed. If McGill can only go to innings before falling apart, then try a piggyback situation. You wouldn't be ruining the bullpen because if either one of them falters, they're both starters, you can leave them in there for multiple innings. Yeah. Sadly, I have a feeling we'll sooner see David Peterson once more, which would be... We are going to see someone because... We've progressed past the need for David Peterson. Have we, though? No. (laughs) Um, Sadly, I'm not sure we have. Um, And we are going to see someone, I think, soon because... Um, if I recall, I forget which beat reporter tweeted this, but um, the Mets the Mets switched uh Sanga and to today to give him extra rest, and then they're going to give him extra rest, I think, again. So the Mets are going to need somebody on counting. On, I'm literally counting on my fingers. Like Sunday, Sanga's next time Sanga's spot comes, they're going to need someone again. That and none of the other guys are going to be on regular rest. So, um, I think that they're going to have to pitch somebody else, whether that be Peterson or Lucchese or bullpen game. Which I I don't have faith that any of those will go particularly well. But I mean, the Mets in particular, I think, should not at all be doing a bullpen game when no. their bullpen is constantly overtaxed to begin with. Yeah, and buddy. also not good. Yeah, not going to go well. Um. So yeah, that's the that's the situation with the pitching staff. It's still bad. Uh, womp, womp. They're the only pitching staff. Uh, the only pitching staff that had a worse ERA in May than the Mets was the A's, who are on track to be the worst baseball team in, of all time. <laughs> Which so. I feel a little possessive of. I do too. I do not want them to be worse than the sixty-two Mets. That's it's, our thing. Yes. we had it first. That's if a messy record. Damn it! If they take it away from us then that is what it is. But I'm going on record as it's mine. I want it. That's fair. They were talking about this during the game. And Keith said it's time to move on. That the 62 Mets need to move. Like, it's like, he's like, that's a record you don't want. But then Howie, I, I guess, sent a message to Gare and said, no, that's a Metsy record. You can't take that from us. I think Keith's point, I, I did think here. Keith made the point, which I probably do appreciate, which is that the 62 Mets themselves don't particularly want that record. And right. like, fine. Yeah. I respect their different yeah. beliefs than me. <laughs> so I'm on Keith's side on this. So uh, that's fair. Not to disagree with you two, but I I don't want that record anymore. I, I, I don't want my franchise to be known for its mediocrity. Um, Because I, you know, like, I feel like we frequently uh, or like, you know, rival fan bases in general, not just Mets fans. Um, I just know Mets fans best. Um, frequently will crap all over the Phillies for being the losingest franchise of all time. And it's very fun to do that. But I'm not sure they enjoy being known that way. And I don't enjoy being known like one of the fun facts about my franchise being that it was one of that it has the worst team of all time in it. I am happy to let someone else take that mantle. That's fine by me. But like Gary was saying, that's what they were known for. And that's what endeared people to them was they were the lovable losers. I think the difference, 
I think the difference between Gary and Keith in that debate was that Gary was talking about it like a fan because he's a fan. Yeah. And I think that like a lot of fans agree with him, like you two agree with him. Um, and Keith was talking about it like a player. Um, yeah, he was a player and he was sharing the perspective of the 62 Mets players who do not want that distinction upon their careers any longer. And we're talking about how like um, it was not fun to lose all those games. So uh, I like they, they were saying like we were not rooting for the A's to lose because we know how shitty it feels. But we would be pleased if we didn't have that record anymore. But, uh, but my former boss was from Detroit, and for the longest time, the Lions were the only team that ever went 0-16, and she got so mad when the Browns did it, too, and she goes, that was my record, damn it, and you just took that from me. <laughs> See, my brother is a Miami Dolphins fan, and he has, like, the opposite, like, of the, yeah. you know, the perfect season, uh, very defensive of that. Um, it probably makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I he can thank so. the Giants for preserving that. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he can. I'm sure he does. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it, it's devi- it's a divisive point, I think. Um, I'm on the side of Keith and the players, but I understand why fans feel protective of it. Like, you know, Metsiness is in our DNA, and that is, and the 62 <laughs> Mets are very Mets. We all have to cope with our reality in one way or another. And I mean, I think like what Big makes it feels I think what makes it more air quotes permissible for the 1962 Mets to be the worst team ever is because they were an expansion team. So like it's kind of just like, yeah, what do you expect? Like the expansion team is going to struggle to start. Um, but the A's taking that record from them would be extra embarrassing, I think, because like they're not an expansion team and they're kind of low key doing this on purpose on the ownership level. Obviously, yeah. the players are trying their hardest. They're not doing it on purpose um, on the ownership and front office level. They're doing it on purpose, which is really embarrassing. The 62 Mets were not doing it on purpose. <laughs> no, <laughs> they tried. <laughs> they tried. An attempt was made. <laughs> um. So the last sort of Mets story I want to talk about um, before we get into some other baseball stuff that is going to be sad and and maddening to discuss, uh, I figured I would bring up a more lighthearted thing to sort of, you know, cleanse the palate a little bit. Uh, We like to alternate good things and bad things on this podcast. It's Um, a roller coaster. Exactly. So a fun little story that came out last week uh, that I just want to highlight because I think it's fun um, in the athletic um, was about Buck show Walter's wardrobe. And I found this incredibly endearing. <laughs> um, so for those of you who haven't read it yet, or uh, don't have access to the athletic um, basically a summary of it is, is that, everyone who watches the Mets uh, and, or has seen Buck show Walter in his other managerial jobs, knows that he like never wears like the team jersey <laughs> the way that other managers do he's always wearing the jacket um and recently um or i forget exactly when like the rule changed but um like you know in the past like couple decades or so they the league like tightened up the rules governing what could be worn on the field by on-field staff and so you have to wear like MLB issued stuff and so what Showalter has done 
to sort of like skirt this rule. And he's and he said, like, the league probably hates me for this, but I don't care, basically, um, is that he does technically wear MLB issued stuff, but none of it is new stuff. He wears like previously okayed like items from years and years ago that were like grandfathered in before this rule existed. Um, and he's like sure that they will close this loophole after he's done managing specifically because of him, but he does this on purpose. He literally sends the clubby out to go to yard sales and thrift shops to find old Mets stuff. That's like grandfathered into this. Rule. <laughs> oh, <bonk. laughs> like, that's dedication to really flouting the rules. Yep. And then he finds these jackets and he like tailors them afterwards. <laughs> so that they fit properly. And like he also like removes the lining from them so that they're like cool for the summer so that he can wear like a jacket even when it's like 90 degrees out. Oh jeez. Oh, such it's, a grandpa. It's so funny. <laughs> And all the players talk about how he's, like, low-key really into fashion because he's, like, very particular about his finds. And, like, there's a particular pocket that he likes to have, like, sewn in the jacket. Oh, my God. It's the craziest stuff. The secret pocket, it's called. It used to be for cigarettes. (laughs) I'm a big fan of whatever flavor of moderate neurodiversity Buck has because he is so particular about particular <laughs> things. Yep. And I can just, and it, and it makes perfect sense. Like I just want him to sit there and explain all of his preferences to me. So I can be like, yeah, Oh man, totally. Yeah. Love that pocket. Love that, you know, video review guy, like everything that he seems to be picky about works out in our favor. So yeah, big fan. Yeah, sorry. I, I apologize. It's not the jacket that has the special pocket. It's his pants. Um, and Wayne Kirby said, everyone gives him a hard time about the pocket. And the the article says, Showalter's pants have a special sewn-in pocket on the front called a stopwatch pocket. Decades ago, it was more commonplace and made for easy storage for players and managers to house their cigarettes. Showalter said former Yankees manager Billy Martin moved the pocket to the pants after they got in trouble with the league for the cigarette pocket on the inside of the chest. Uh, and Showalter said, that's the way the pants were, were made for the Yankees back then. I don't ask for the pocket now. It's just there. <laughs> no women are out there asking why Buck cares about his pockets. I would just like to say. It's true. Yes. <laughs> Buck Showalter, handshake emoji, me. I wish my pockets. pants had better pockets. <laughs> <laughs> women everywhere are asking for pockets. Please. Notice he show it off like when people like ask him about it, like, look, it has an extra pocket. <laughs> like women do with every box. dress. Thanks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> My favorite part was I, I put a few other things in there, show Walter said, declining to say exactly what. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> okay. yeah, well, what's he hiding? I, I I'm gonna go and put my money on snacks. Yeah, probably snacks. Yeah. That's what I would do with my pockets. Like some if I had pockets, seeds. which I don't. Yeah. I mean, you might need a little pick-me-up during the game, so you want to have your snacks handy. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought that that article was incredibly endearing, and while we all may have our issues with Buck's uh, lineup choices, bullpen management, various other things, putting Starling Marte in center field and course field, um, there are, like things like this just make me like love him anyway. Like I just kind of like it minimizes his like 
failings uh, as a, like his strategic failings as a manager because <laughs> at least he's like a I'm gonna go out human. on a limb and say Starling Marte doesn't see a lot more center field in Coors Field <laughs> no <Probably not. laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and guess that that's not gonna happen again so now that we've done that fun little uh you know like variety segment We'll move on uh, to our baseball segment this week, um, which obviously front and center um, around baseball. Major story is still um, new developments in the Dodgers Pride Night story. We talked about this last week. Obviously, the background is that the Dodgers uh, disinvited the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, um, an LGBTQ plus activist group uh, from Pride Night over concerns. I use that in air quotes concern trolling <laughs> from uh Marco Rubio and the Catholic League which is basically just Bill Donahue um about like the the fact that they use that the sisters use Catholic imagery and they were you know highly offended by this and Dodgers disinvited them for that reason and then you know pride groups started uh L- LA based local actually people who like you know are part of the community started pulling out of pride night the Dodgers uh hopefully realized their error or in my mind, mostly just realized that this was costing them money probably um, and re-invited the sisters to pride. Um, So of course that caused a back backlash um, from the Catholic contingent. Um, So after the Dodgers re-invited the sisters, um, I feel like, you know, the, the major development here that is especially disappointing, of course, the same people who were upset to begin with are going to be upset again. And that's, you know, that is what it is. I don't care what Marco Rubio thinks about the Dodgers, quite frankly. Um, but the I don't dis- care what Marco Rubio thinks about anything. About anything. <laughs> um, the the more disappointing thing is that it was kind it kind of came out that, well, I'll, I'll rewind about two days ago, I think. Forgive me if my timeline is slightly off. Time is a flat circle. Um, Clayton Kershaw tweeted about uh, a like Christian faith and family day that was happening at Dodger Stadium. I forget when, like later in June and July. I can't remember exactly the exact date, but he basically tweeted like, come out to the ballpark on this day for Christian faith and family day. Um, or whatever. He made no reference to Pride Night. He just tweeted about the Faith and Family Day. But obviously, everybody sort of picked up on the very odd timing of this. Um, at the time, I wanted to give Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers the benefit of the doubt because a lot of teams have Christian, uh, have faith-based nights, whether it be specifically Christian faith-based nights or just non-denominational faith nights. Um, and obviously, like, those in and of themselves are not a problem. It's like any other heritage night, you know? Um, no, uh, no, no gay person has ever called up a baseball team and screamed at them to disinvite faith groups, I exactly. would just like to point out. Exactly. We've never had protests outside ballparks over Christian faith and family day before. And this is something, and this is something to be clear that the Dodgers have been doing, had been doing for years, like prior to the pandemic. And it kind of just like trailed off during the pandemic. Um, And so, and other teams have done this. They've been doing it for years, whatever, not an issue. And so I had kind of like thought I had hoped uh, giving Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers the benefit of the doubt that this was already on the calendar for the Dodgers for this year and that Kershaw was just advertising it maybe in response, which already would have been kind of crappy, like, you know, a crappy thing. But at least it's just like it's already a thing that's happening. And he's like, here's a reminder. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. 
what we later learned is that Clayton Kershaw was one of the people who was gravely offended by the Dodgers inviting the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to Pride and said that he disagreed with their decision to invite them. And in response, he he sought to announce the team's relaunch of Christian Faith and Family Day. He had like an all-players meeting about it. And then they launched this Christian Faith and Family Day. So this Christian Faith and Family Day was actually a direct response to what the Dodgers decided to do with Pride Night and inviting the Sisters with Perpetual Indulgence. So that was the shitty part of it and made me... And you wonder why, looking at baseball, you think like, like, why are there no out Major League players? Because statistically, certainly, some of them are gay. When you have a team leader, veteran, one of the greatest pitchers, future Hall of Famer, calling an all-team meeting for that reason... Like, how is anybody going to come out in a clubhouse like that? It's never going to happen. And that's probably, I mean, that's part of the idea. That's, that's part of why they do it. Exactly. To make sure that everybody knows who's in charge. Exactly. And it's not the gays, despite what (laughs) the the conservative media would like you to believe. The gays, definitely not in charge. Right. Like, this whole thing has been, like, very much, like, people trying to paint Catholics as this very oppressed minority. And it's just like not true. The Catholic church is one of the most powerful institutions in the world. It's just simply not true. How many decades they covered up millions of sexual abuse cases. Which they are not not easy. They are not bringing this energy for. I don't see Clayton Kershaw out here doing the work and donating to victims of uh, Catholic church sexual abuse. And I will I say, like, I, I have gotten a lot of pushback on a tweet I did, shockingly, um, pointing out that Kershaw does a lot of the kind of work on the ground, the feeding the hungry work. And you know what? He does. And you know what? He planned Dodgers Faith and Family Night because he was pissed about pride and not because he wanted to highlight yep. the work that yep. Christians are doing. And that tells you exactly what they're all in this for. Exactly. My thing is, you know, he's he basically did what Drew Brees did They're They hide behind Christianity and family to hide their bigotry. You're bigots because no faith says it's okay to hate another group. None. Not a single. Not it's not in uh, it's not Judaism. It's not Christianity. It's not Islam. It's not Buddhism. But so you're you're hiding behind faith to justify your bigotry. And that's what it comes down to. I always point out that, like, Jesus never said anything about gay people. Nope. He said a lot about rich people. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Not (laughs) a fan of the rich folk, that guy. And he said a lot about, you know, the oppressed. Be the least of my people. What you've done for the least of my people, you've done for me. I don't remember him checking any of the like employment histories of the poor people he fed. That didn't seem to be high on his priority list. Yeah, like even the Pope has been more welcoming to the LGBTQ community. The Pope. And so you're gonna tell me the Pope's wrong? You mean to tell me that Jesus didn't means test his bread? And then, and I will point out another group that has been pretty darn quiet about this, except for a handful who have been 
supportive of Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is nuns. And yeah. why literal nuns, nuns <laughs> doing the work? Yes. They are. Yes. It's, it's not Marco Rubio who is like, you know, going to soup kitchens and, you know, visiting homebound seniors. Like that's not, you know, Rubio's not doing that. Nope. Kershaw's organization probably does some of that. I don't know how many of those visits Kershaw takes on himself, but you know, but the people who are doing it are nuns and also sisters of perpetual indulgence. <laughs> like, and that is why they maybe don't totally embrace them. It is still a like super conservative group, um, obviously, but they are not going out of their way to protest it. And in fact, some of them are speaking publicly in favor of the work that they do. Yes. And, and also, as a Catholic, I'm not offended by them. I'm offended that you're using my religion to justify your hate. Yes. Because that's not my religion. That's far more offensive than anything the sisters have done. Well, no. the sisters also didn't start from this place of Catholic iconography just randomly. They weren't like, you know, it would be fun, a nun thing. Um, I have been involved in various conversations around performances of a certain type that would have started that way of like, let's do a nun thing. No, it was specifically (laughs) because of the bigotry that a lot of the organization members themselves experienced in Catholic schools, in Christian environments, which is like all of them. And that is why they adopted that that approach that look that that theme is because of that subversive activism is not effective unless you're making people uncomfortable that is the point there is a reason why during the aids crisis of which the sisters were very involved in helping people who were affected by it by the way and have been doing this work for decades this isn't new stuff right anyway There's a reason why during the AIDS crisis, ACT UP did a die-in in in a church. Because these people were directly responsible for the deaths of countless gay people. And that's, that's violent bigotry. That is what this is a response to. Their right to exist, to live, is literally threatened. And your right to exist and practice your Catholic faith is not threatened by some guys dressing up as drag nuns. It's just simply not. These are not equal grievances. <laughs> well, and then, of course, once a bay over Kershaw said he did his own research, but then couldn't back it up with what research he did. He clearly didn't do any. No. <laughs> He didn't do I think any. It's safe to say that doing one's own research at this point is a like straight up red flag. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's just like it's 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 just incredibly ignorant and frustrating. And you know, like again, when you when you do your faith-based night at the ballpark, which again in a vacuum is completely fine, and I I have never seen a queer community or person stand up against the idea of a team having a faith-based night once. Um, these are fine in in isolation, but when you're doing it in response to a Pride night, you are pointedly linking your faith to an anti-LGBTQ stance. You are saying this is what it means to be a Catholic to me. And all of the I respect 
gay people. I have gay friends, all of that nonsense, all of that in the world will not undo the actual hands-on harm that you are doing to that community. Yeah, exactly. And and when you put qualifiers on it too, like Bass did. Yes. We'll get to him in a minute. He Um, sucks. He sucks. Um, We'll get to him in a minute. Um, He deserves his own segment. (laughs) Yeah, he does. He does. He sucks. Um, But, you know, coming out also, you know, with a statement uh, about this was for uh, not for no reason, but somewhat randomly, because it's like, who asked you was uh, sadly Trevor Williams, former mad Trevor, as it turns out. We thought he was a good Trevor. Yeah, we had right into bad Trevor territory. now. We had him among our league of good Trevors. And now the only good Trevor left is Trevor May. Oh, Trevor Hildenberger. What about Hildenberg? Hildenberger, Trevor Hildenberger. Also very good. Okay. Good Trevors. Okay, so we, there are so, still so two at least good we Trevors. have a balance. We have we're at 50-50. Yeah. We're at 50-50. Anyway, very disappointing to see Trevor Williams. Like, you know, listen, I knew, we all knew Trevor Williams has never been shy. He's a Christian. He's a very proud Christian, which is fine. Um, but yeah, he he came out with a like a a, a, a an essay about this it on was Twitter. The longest, like random bigoted rant. <laughs> I've seen from a baseball player in a long time. That was, it was two screen caps. It was two screenshots worth. And it was really one of those, like, I ain't reading all that. I'm happy for you, though, or sorry that happened. Like, <laughs> I read the first paragraph and the last paragraph, and they were awful. And they're both bad. <laughs> they're so bad. But it was one of those. I'm not going to read the whole statement because it's a load of hogwash. But um, he, I, I, th- I mean, I think the reason why he... Uh, tweeted about this now is because the the Nationals are playing the Dodgers this week but it's like dude you're on the Nationals like no one asked you about what you think about Dodgers Pride Night but sure fine uh, go ahead and like Marco Rubio this thing and like insert yourself where no one asked you um, but I'm not going to read the whole statement but he basically did the as a devout Catholic I'm deeply troubled by the Dodgers decision to reinvite uh, the sisters of perpetual indulgence and it's like I don't know Trevor if I were you I'd be deeply troubled by your strikeout to walk ratio but that's just me you have other um, things to worry about here Trevor I mean I'm not deeply, deeply troubled about like financial inequality I mean, people are starving on the streets of D.C., Trevor. I'd be deeply troubled by, you know. But it doesn't you know, seem to deeply pro- trouble him. Deeply troubled by the rampant uh, domestic violence problem that the league has. I'd oh, be deeply troubled oh, by yeah. the rampant racism that exists in this league. Uh, you know, there are lots of things to be troubled by in Major League Baseball, but uh, Dodgers Pride Night, which is not even your team's Pride Night, uh, is apparently what he chose to be deeply troubled by and not the Nationals well, record. <laughs> well, and again, and you know, for all I know, Trevor Williams spends the offseason feeding the poor. But I hope so. I hope so, too. I hope everybody does, uh, but they don't because we can look around and see it. But the fact that he's choosing this moment and this issue to make his voice heard. I mean, that's, that says it all. This is what he wants us to know about his beliefs. He's not talking about good works. He's not talking about protecting people who need it. He is just slamming the sisters because, because that's what his radio shows and cable channels have told him to do. That is the bad thing. 
And it's just the most crazy, the most ludicrous part was he compared it to being crucified. He did. Even Jesus is up there like, buddy. Jesus, your old buddy. (laughs) As as we've said already, Jesus would be standing alongside the sisters of perpetual indulgence and not with the majority of self-professed Christians and what they supposedly stand for in this country. Again, as a Catholic, I'm offended. That's blasphemous to me. Yeah. Like you should be like that's way more offensive to than anything than the sisters dressing up as nuns. It just is. And um, I think that like the grander thing that I am upset by by this, of course, like on an individual level, I'm upset because Trevor Williams, by all accounts, seemed like a good guy. Um, and you know, like he he's always been like a, a Christian, and that's fine. And he's been, but he's been very online and used his platform to say like other thoughtful things in the past. And like, I w- I'm disappointed on a personal level. But beyond that, what this represents to me, Kershaw and Trevor Williams, um, I guess Kershaw to a greater extent because he's just a, a more well-known player and a Hall of Fame bound pitcher and a, a major like spokesperson in baseball. is just that like we talk about on this podcast all the time, the only way that the culture will change, that this, you know, toxic masculinity based culture, this patriarchal culture, this culture that uplifts abusers, that keeps uh, gay folks closeted. um, This culture will only change from within the clubhouse when the that behavior being an abuser, for example, will no longer be tolerated. And this feels like a step back in the opposite direction where a gay player who may have seen the progress and not out gay player may have seen the progress that's been happening with more and more teams having pride nights um, may have felt like, you know, maybe in the near future, like I can come out and it won't be an issue. I feel like is going further into the closet now seeing this, like this is what, this is what his peers think. This is what his teammates think. Can you imagine being a gay player in on the nationals, for example, and seeing this and seeing what Trevor Williams tweeted and feeling safe in that clubhouse. You you aren't. You aren't safe in that clubhouse. Well, no, so Trevor Williams had no issue, like we said, two screenshots worth with his whole chest writing an essay, but not a single person can come out on the other side being supportive of the LGBTQ community. Like there hasn't been a single tweet from a single ball player except for Robert Stock. And he's not even in the league anymore. There's been there was a minor league ball player. Yes, and a minor to to Bradford's call for Bradford William Davis called for can some courageous ball player please stand up and say that they support gay rights, that they don't, that they support the sisters' work. And one minor league player said, I'm a minor league player, but I support it. And like that was great. And I commend and I commend it. But not a single major league ball player has come out on the other side. We know that players, you know, we know that last year during Pride, Mark Hanna and Taiwan Walker in particular were very outspoken in support of the event. And we praised them on this podcast at the time. I am waiting with bated breath to see how the Mets, how certain Mets react this year, because I am nervous that even if Mark Hanna holds holds these views that he supports the LGBTQ plus community, that that players like him are going to not feel okay speaking out in favor and he should be brave and still do it anyway. But this makes it harder 
if this and is what his design. teammates think. They want, I mean, that's that's why Kershaw turned it into a whole team meeting. It's why, you know, people like Kershaw get the, the mic for times like this because they want the loudest, most important voices to all be on their side. And the louder and the more prominent those voices are, the harder and, you know, with more repercussions it becomes for anybody else. And also when you paint yourself as the victim, now it's easier to make yourself look sympathetic and get more people on your side. Yeah. Like, I mean, forgive me, but given the environment that LGBTQ folks are facing right now, I don't have time for Catholics hurt feelings about a nun costume. I simply don't. Like, your right to exist is not being threatened. Like, you are not the victim of, like, literal hate crimes and violence day in and day out. People of Jewish faith are having their synagogues defaced with Nazi symbols every day in this country right now. I do not have time for this nonsense. <laughs> I simply don't for you to pretend to be to be oppressed. I don't. I don't have time for it. I won't I won't I won't hear it. <laughs> I won't platform it. It's just it's just not true. It's I was gonna say, true. as a Catholic, I can't name a single instance where I felt unwelcome or like I, I mean I'd like to know what major nationwide chains have had to close down their Jesus section because of bomb threats. Yeah. Like Right. How when when is that happening? Where are all the cross shirts being taken out of stores because employees have had their lives threatened? Never. Where, where is that happening? Show me. Tell me. It hasn't. It's just not. It's just not happening. Like it, well, they did their own research. They can't tell you where, but they they it, they did it. It's it's happening. Just take their word for it. Like, what I find especially rich is all the wasps, like, all the Protestants getting, like, all up in arms about this, too. They've joined the chorus as a Christian, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you, like, crapping on Catholics is literally your whole thing. That's what your whole <laughs> yeah, you sect is based it. on. <laughs> like, you believe that Catholics belong in the same fiery pit as <laughs> as gay folks. So I don't know what you are out here about. <laughs> I certainly don't know what you the guys enemy are out of here their about. enemy, I suppose. <laughs> I guess. But that was like that stuff. I, like, I guess I got a, I've been having like people in my mentions all day. Oh, yeah, and, I've got I've probably the same people in yeah. mine. Yeah, it's been a banner day in, in our collective mentions. Um, and like some of them, like one of them was like, I was like, oh, I, I said something about like, oh, why aren't you coming with the same energy for the scandals in the Catholic Church? And they were like, well, I'm not Catholic. And I was like, then why do you care about this? <laughs> like, oh, gosh. Anyway. Um, yeah. So this continues to be like deeply, deeply upsetting. Um and if you want to hear more about this and you want to hear actual queer voices talk about this, please, please, please listen to the most recent episode of Flushing is Burning. Um, Christian and Grace are fantastic. You should be listening to this show already. Um, but they talked about this uh, in their episode this week, which actually just dropped uh, today, Tuesday, as we're recording this. And this show will drop Wednesday. So you're going to have back to back episodes about this. Um, and you should listen to Christian and Grace talk about this because they have 
um, they have such a thoughtful and insightful discussion um, and you should be listening to them. So, um, but yeah, uh, moving on to Anthony Bass, <laughs> who oh. deserves his own segment about this. It's like somewhat related, but it's not the same exact. He's not talking about Dodgers pride, but he's still being a hateful bigot, as it turns out. He um, of the popcorn fame. Yes, he of the popcorn incident. Uh, you may know him from previous episodes, such as getting a flight attendant fired because she wouldn't clean up popcorn that Bass's wife's kids spilled. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. this guy. That's this guy. Um, so while all this is going down, um, he uh he did a really hateful Instagram story. It was basically like one of those like anti-LGBTQ plus propaganda videos. Um, and he shared it on his Instagram story. Um, and it's one of those videos where like where the guy is instructing christians to boycott boycott target and bud light because those brands you know because of those brands like tacit support for lgbtq rights in the sense that they just like have put rainbows on things uh and that's just enough to be offensive like here's the thing about like about this about connecting it back to the sisters of perpetual indulgence and here's what we said last time when we talked about this you give these people an inch, they will take a mile. They will make you believe that if not for the sisters' inclusion, they would be totally supportive of Pride. They are lying. That is not true <laughs> because you have Anthony Bass out here boycotting, asking, think, uh, sharing a video about a guy saying that he you should boycott Target and Bud Light, who basically all they did was do rainbow capitalism. Like... They don't support this in any form. <laughs> there is Except no financial. support. Yeah. yeah. Like there is no like there is no um pride like symbol, no like support of pride that is acceptable to these people. It's it's they just don't they would they would prefer that the Dodgers not have a pride night at all or their respective teams not have a pride night at all. Make no mistake. This isn't about the sisters. It's they don't like gay people. That's it. That's the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, Anthony Bass posted this video. Um, and, you know, if I were him, I would just take his L's at this point. Like, the dude he takes needs- a lot of them in the game. Exactly. <laughs> like, my man, you don't have you don't have the ERA to be out here. <laughs> at least Clayton Kershaw is the ERA to be out here. You do not. <laughs> uh, I don't think either of you should be out here saying these things. But, uh, man. You don't um, have to clout Clayton, Clayton Kershaw does. And you were already in the news for bad reasons, and people are already making fun of you, and now you do this? Like, oh, go on. you're making it too easy. Um, my favorite tweet, uh, like, in response to that was, like, it was basically, like, boycotting targets. L- it looks like he's been boycotting targets all season long. Yeah. <laughs> that was, like, damn, hell Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so good. Um, so yeah, uh, that that happened. Uh, and then he, of course, so like I think that his, like if not him, his PR team, his agent, it was definitely PR. Whoever realized that he needs to just take his L's at this point because of how much bad press he's gotten. Um, and so he issued a public apology today, earlier today. Um, and uh, this is this this was the quote. 
I recognized yesterday I made a post that was hurtful to the pride community. I can't even get through this with a straight face because he called it the pride community. It's like <laughs> you have never read like one one article about, nope. about the LGBTQ community. Anyway, uh, the pride community, which includes friends of mine. So there, there's it's it's literally like a bingo I have card. Gay friends. I, yep. a bingo card. Check number one. Pride community. Not referring to the community correctly. Check number two. Would like to meet two of said friends <laughs> and have a conversation with them. Yeah. <laughs> number two, I have gay friends. Um, which includes friends of mine and close family members of mine. I'm truly sorry for that. I just spoke with my teammates and shared with them my actions yesterday. I apologized to them. And as of right now, I am using the Blue Jays resources to better educate myself and to make better decisions moving forward. The ballpark is for everybody. We include all fans at the ballpark. We want to welcome everybody. That's all I have to say. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but then he didn't take questions and then just like walked away. It's like, no, you're still a coward. Yeah, like I don't like you don't like you don't share that stuff by accident. Like this is just again, this is just reeks of like his agent made him say this so that people would stop yelling at him online. Um, I mean, I guess it's better than not apologizing for it, I suppose. But like, I don't. I don't believe it for a second is what I'll say. Um, yeah. So Although, to the surprise of no one, Blake Trinan now has thoughts. Oh, sh- oh God. I don't need to hear He's him. The worst no, you don't. Girl. You do not want to hear him. And uh, and uh, so these are uh, like so Blake Trinan obviously is not on the nationals currently. But uh, so we've got a bunch of nationals because Trevor Williams uh, tweeted, you know, that gobbledygook statement and Patrick Corbin retweeted it. And we already know. Oh, he, Patrick yeah. Corbin's, Corbin's uh, established stance on these things. Uh, yeah, he sucks. Um, and Trinan is like similarly bad. Um, and he and Corbin are like big buddies because Trinan used to also be on the Nationals. Yeah. So I died. Blake Trinan. Christ. I don't yeah, you, you you don't want to read it. Not gonna. It's um, it's sickening. It's gross, gross, gross. Him, he even put Bible quotes in there. <laughs> All right, we're we're not reading that on here. Yeah, um, we're 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 vibe shifting back to good things. We're doing our little our little uh, sandwich here. So vibe shifting back to good things. Liam Hendricks returned to the mound for the White Sox Yay! last night Yay! after beating cancer. Hell yeah. This is such a great so story. Glad to see Raise him. your hand if you cried watching the video. I certainly will. Um, but I got a little choked up. There were I a, did too. A <laughs> tears occurred. I don't think fell. he did too. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was crying. Yeah. Which how can he not? Um It's like how is he supposed to pitch now? He's crying. <laughs> yeah. Just five months after being diagnosed with stage four lymphoma, he is back on the mound. Which That's is incredible incredible um like just so cool um and side note Mets should trade for him yes <laughs> I think. yeah bring that guy in yeah we are full supportive of that we already talked about how the bullpen needs massive improvements and uh that would be a massive improvement both in terms of pitching and in terms of vibes <laughs> desperately needed yes. um so yeah that was that was a really good thing to see, to see this week uh just 
really awesome and, you know, really inspirational to his teammates, to the whole game, really. It was really cool. And But also, how stupid is this now? They have to worry. Are they going to actually let him enjoy the moment or is there going to be a pitch clock violation? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, like, come on. And they, they did give props to the batter who did not step in the batter's box. I'm not sure who the batter was. Sorry. But he, yeah, he wouldn't let, he wouldn't get into the batter's box until, so that way he, Hendricks could have his moment which was like he was aware of what was going on which was which was nice to see too yeah it was always nice that made me happy um the other kind of baseball news from this week that I want to just touch upon briefly um was you know uh other uh, other baseball people not covering themselves in glory online um in this case it's a team twitter account the astros twitter account the astros Um, being on the wrong side of anything i cannot believe it shocking i tell you shocking Um, such good folk so there's gambling in this establishment Um, the other day, the Astros beat up on the Oakland Athletics. No surprise there. <laughs> um, as as we already talked about, the Oakland Athletics are historically bad this year. Um, and the Astros Twitter account decided to tweet, quote, tens of runs in front of tens of fans. Which feels like punching down. <laughs> A lot. Yeah, no, that feels like punching down. It is. Also, I seem to recall a time not so, so many years ago, maybe 10 years ago, maybe less. I recall a time when the Astros once got a zero Nielsen rating. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you tanked once too, buddy, and you were really bad for a long, long time, (laughs) and there were tens of fans. Talk about the pot calling the kettle. Holy crow. Wow. Wowie, wowie. So, yeah, that's that's not ideal. I, I They took it down, the tweet, so that's good. Yeah, quietly deleting it, though, and not even saying, like, oh, that tweet was in poor taste or something. Like, they just quietly deleted it. Come on. They dirty deleted. The Astros acting in poor taste. (laughs) Again, this is my shock Shocking. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like, it's, and it's a thing, like, don't, don't, like, it's one thing when, like, you know, it's just, you know, a bad team that's not drawing well and you want to dunk on them to get easy, like, internet points or whatever. That's shitty in and of itself. Like, but they know, everyone knows what the A's current situation is. And everyone knows why the fans aren't attending the games. And it's not just because the team is bad. Like, it's because of the craven like greed of their ownership group that is not only making the team bad on purpose, but is relocating them to another city. Yeah, like the- Where I'm sure they will all of a sudden decide that they want to pay players. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, the Astros were the last largest shame of the game. And now they're making fun of now the current shame of the game. Like, you're not better than them. You were involved in your own scandal. And we're, I mean, you didn't get punished for it, like, should have been. The A's but aren't no, cheating. <laughs> yeah, so don't act like you're all holier than that and than thou now, Astros. Yeah, it's just it's just really crappy to to say that about, like, a fan base who, you it's know, hurting. 
you know full well why they aren't going to the games. And it's not just because the team is bad. Like, enough. Stop it. Um, Although, can we talk about a good tweet about how, I don't know if you saw it, the uh, Cleveland Hot Dogs tweeted back Street Boys lyrics going back to November. Oh, my God. Incredible. I love that. <laughs> I had not seen this, but I am happy to know that it exists. <laughs> yeah, the first word of every tweet going back to November 6th was, um, I want it that way. <laughs> Incredible. I love it. It was awesome. <laughs> Good. Good. So well, there is this fun ways to use your social media here, sports teams. Good. And I'm not just saying that because it's Backstreet Boys. Good. We that's a good that's a good way to end the segment with a good tweet to balance out the bad tweet. The bad tweet, yes. We're doing we our balance. sandwiches. We're doing our sandwiches. It's a double decker. It's a it's a whole club sandwich. A club. <laughs> exactly. Um but uh, to end the show on a happy note, uh, we will end the show like we always do with walk-off wins, where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week, baseball-related or otherwise. Linda Cervich, what is your walk-off win for this week? Uh, my walk-off win is I saw uh, Once Upon a One More Time, which is amazing. A new, a, yes, a new Broadway play that's all Britney Spears music, so well. I'm all, you had my attention when I heard that. I was like, okay, sure. But then you dig a little deeper and it's about Disney princesses in a book group. And I was like, <laughs> okay, somebody made this just for me. So Linda now Cervich, I, the musical. Yes, basically. I was like, so. I would I'm watch just, that. I just <laughs> put that out there. It's still in previews right now, but uh, it's incredible. I mean, it's ridiculous, but you will have the best time at the theater you'll ever have and there was a lot of feminism in there so again hello right up my alley um but yeah it, i mean justin guarini plays prince charming and steals the show um he was incredible and i won't i won't spoil anything but circus and toxic bring the house down like having that theater experience where the crowd's really into it is like it's just worth it for that and um yeah it was i mean like i said it's ridiculous but you will have so much fun <laughs> and if, especially if you really like britney's beers um just going down and then they made a joke about curious which was her perfume that i always wore in high school and college so then i had to go to my parents house to see if i still had a bottle and i do <laughs> oh my god amazing i i remember that perfume and i had totally memory hold it and that's like <laughs> that just came out of the depths of my like mind palace. Yeah. So I'm like, I might start wearing that again. Is it cool again? I don't know, but I will make it cool again. Um, so I mean, we I found a code online. So I paid sixty dollars for orchestra street seats. We were like ten rows back. Um, and it's in the um the Majestic Theater, which is one of the more modern theaters. So you get like a lot of like light show involved and like and all the dancing is like basically straight out of like her music videos so it's a lot of like hip-hop moves and one guy was like break dancing and oh man it was just it was so much fun it was it was perfect i had such and we had cuban food before which i love Ooh, so I love cuban food yeah cuban food go to havana central and then go see the play and you will have a very good night amazing Love it. 
love Britney Spears, love Broadway. So I would love this, I'm sure. You would. I highly recommend. If you want to go see it, I'll go again. I don't care. <laughs> Heck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Maggie Wiggum, what is your walk-off win for this week? Um, I'm really keeping it extremely exciting. I say, have y'all seen the weather lately? <laughs> it's been great. It yes. has been like not a cloud in the sky, like mid to upper 70s. You know, and I was... Uh, my daughter had her field day today, which is out at Randall's Island where there's like nary a tree to be seen. Um, and I was, you know, a little trepidatious about standing out in the sun all day, but it was like 72 with a lovely breeze. And I just feel like it doesn't get better than this. It's like, it's that month where the city smells like flowers and not garbage. (laughs) And it's, I don't know, it's magical. It's just like, it's playground weather. It's walk from, you know, like take the bus one stop less so that you could just get a block of walking in. Like it's it's that kind of weather where you just want to be outside in it all the time and definitely like turning up all the good vibes. I love that. And field day was always like one of the things I looked forward to most at school. I loved field day. I will call you for the next field day. It went (laughs) badly. So much fun. (laughs) This is Um, like the perfect weather when there's no humidity, but it's still warm with a light breeze. Like this is my ideal weather. I will say that 2023 sucks in a lot of ways, but one column in which it gets points compared to some previous years of recent past is we got a real spring. Yeah, it's true. In past well, years, I feel like it went raining. Finally, yeah. <laughs> in past years, I feel like it went straight from winter to summer. Like it just like you know was freezing, and then it just got hot and humid. But this and... has been some like baller solid spring weather. Yep. Yeah. Oh, got I was passing spring. a neighbor. I was coming in, and the neighbor was going out. And the neighbor was like, "Do you think I should grab a jacket?" I'm like, "You could have a jacket, or you could have no jacket. You get to decide, not the weather, exactly. because the weather is perfect." Yeah. It is what you want it to be. (laughs) So good. Um, So my walk off win for this week, I actually have two of them Um, because I had I had a banner weekend last weekend. It was great. Um, So on Saturday, um, I got a new tattoo, which was very exciting. Um, It's my fourth tattoo. So for something that people uh, listeners may not know about me is that I am a tattooed person. I like tattoos. I like getting them. and so this is my fourth one. Um, it's on my calf and it's of uh, a scene from BoJack Horseman, which is my favorite TV show of all time. Um, and I love it and I'm obsessed with it and it makes me happy. Um, and uh, Stone the Crow Tattoo, Christian at Stone the Crow Tattoo uh, in Rockville did a fantastic job with it. Um, it's actually the first session uh, of two. I have to, I'm going back in July to get a little color added to it because part of the tattoo involves like a night sky galaxy effect because the scene from the show is Bojack and another character, Sarah Lynn, like look, they're in a planetarium and so they're like looking up at like a space background. And so right now, um, all I have done done is like the black and gray um and so the night sky is kind of just like black uh but i'm gonna at- get color added in like blues and greens and purple so that really looks like a galaxy um which is gonna be really really cool um but it already looks great even without the color so i'm so psyched of what it's gonna look like when it's finished um but yeah so that's my first walk-off win very excited i'm very happy with how it turned out um 
And then my second walk-off win is that on Sunday, um, I went to my first Washington Spirit game. Um, Washington Spirit or the NWSL team, the women's soccer team, professional soccer team in D.C. Um, and I had an amazing time and it was great. The vibes were amazing. Um, the game ended in a tie, so baseball fans may not <laughs> be, be familiar or adapted to such situations in sports. I mean, um, to be fair, our, our, our alternative is a ghost runner, so ties are actually fine. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, the game did end in a tie, but it was like a really exciting game. Um, it was really like well contested. Um, it wasn't was, a nothing, nothing tie. was No, it, it was one-to-one. Okay. Um, and it was, it was a very exciting game. I had a great time. I was with Michael and my friend Sarah, um, and we had an awesome time. And I just feel like, like, I will say that just like, so the spirit average, the spirit average attendance, uh, this season has been about 10,000, um, which is very good, first of all, for compared to what it's been in the past. Like it is the NWSL is growing very much as a league, um, which you love to see. Uh, you love to see women's sports thriving and growing. Um, but uh, it's about half the average attendance that the Nationals have in comparison this season. Even the even with the team being bad, um, they're still drawing about 20,000 per game. Um, that's an average. Obviously, some nights it's way less, some nights it's way more if there's a promotion, whatever. Um, but I will say that Audi Field, which is where the Spirit play, also where DC United, the men's team plays, was twice as loud as I have ever heard Nats Park be. And I've been to countless games at Nats Park and not just Mets Nats games either, although that makes up the majority of games I've been to at Nats Park. I've been to plenty of Nats games, not just when the team's been bad in the past few years, but before that, when they were good, like in 2015, that era of the Nats. Um, The Spirit game was so loud. Like the fans that were there were diehards. They were all so into it. And like, I know that baseball is considered to be like, among the major sports, probably like the most family friendly or like at least like, you know, I feel like you see the most kids at baseball games compared to like NBA games or NFL games, for example, or even like hockey games, although I haven't been to as many hockey games. Linda can can say different, but I feel like of the four like major leagues like in America, baseball has the most like family friendly atmosphere Um, there. I have never seen like more children at a sporting event than I saw at this spirit game, like little girls everywhere, everywhere in their like local travel team jerseys. And it just made me so happy. <laughs> like I was like, oh, my God, this is so cute. <laughs> like they were and they were so into it. And it just made me like it made my heart sing like it was so great. And it was just such a great environment. Um, And it was just like I just feel like the the stark contrast, especially today with all the stuff going on with Dodgers Pride Night and the response to that and the way the league is acting and the players are acting and stuff like that. Um, Like the contrast between how MLB is with this and how NWSL is with this is just like night and day. Like we were at Audi Field. There was a huge section like of the, you know, the the huge section of like hardcore fans right behind the goal. Um, And there was a huge trans flag and a huge pride flag and drums and like the whole atmosphere was happy and excited. Um, And the next weekend is the spirits like pride night um, and they're having a drag show at halftime and they're like not even like pressed about it like there that that was not a question that was not some sort of crisis they had there was not a debate about this about who to include there was not any sort of hand wringing about it they are having a drag show 
And so it's just like, it is great to see like women's leagues thriving and women's leagues embracing pride um, and just the, the the family friendly atmosphere. And just like, it was just so great. And I can't wait to go back. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I, I loved it. I, I had so much fun. So that's that's a major walk off win for me is just shout out to the Washington spirit for being a great organization um, and so much fun to be at your games. I can't wait to go to more. So that does it for the show this week. Um, you can uh, uh, support our work. Go to patreon.com slash home run applesauce. Uh, please consider supporting our work. Um, you get access to bonus content. You get access to our uh, our patron exclusive discord and a bunch of other goodies. Um, you can follow Home Run Applesauce on Twitter and Instagram at HR Applesauce. You can follow this show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at a pod of their own. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I'm at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Servich. And you, Maggie? At Maggie162. You can subscribe to our pods uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search Home Run Applesauce. You get our entire feed right there. If you subscribe, including Flushing is Burning, please listen to it. Um, and you, if you can, please rate and review the show. It really helps people find it. The original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there's no crying in Bunga.